Welcome to the Real Triathlon Podcast. I'm your host, Garrick Lowen, here with Nicholas Chase and Jackson Lund. Welcome back to the Real Triathlon Podcast, here with Nick Chase, and this is Jackson Laundry, as you can hopefully tell. We're going to get into a great interview today, I think. I mean, maybe it'll be shit, but probably not. It'll probably be pretty good. Um, we got Brent McMahon coming on. He, We wanted to have him on for a long time, so really excited for this one. He's been around for ever in terms of elite triathlon, kind of done everything, ITU, Ironman, you know. And he just had a great race at Clash Daytona coming in fifth. So it'd be awesome to hear from him. Um, before that, Nick, anything we need to catch up on? What we've got coming up, anything exciting? You're in the off season now. You're kind of taking your three days off training. How's that going? Uh, I officially took an off season. It was uh, one day of travel. <laughs> and uh, now I'm back into preseason, which I like to consider do whatever you want, even if that means nothing. But I usually don't do much of nothing. I just like to get out there and ride the gravel bike and do some swimmies and do everyone else's program. Less less resting. <laughs> An idiot. But no, yeah. I I plan usually Christmas week to be at the week where I actually kind of stop doing stuff or because that's you just can't get around it. Christmas week is just like no matter what, it's gonna be down. Um, but that's it. The rest of the stuff going on is a lot, a lot of team planning for the real or for not the real triathlon squad for real triathlon squad. We're not like the singular only real triathlon squad. We're just like, we're real. That's kind of like our branding. It's been something cool. I've been working on. So we're doing team camp. Yep. Plans coming together for that. We're all going to be together for about a week. Doing we'll do a, a bunch team, of stuff. Team Hopefully, put out a couple of YouTube videos of what about what our lifestyles like during that camp. A couple of hard training sessions, maybe we'll get some video on. It could be fun. So, yeah. Also, going to be doing a lot of work with our partners, some new partners, some continuing from this year that have been awesome. So, yeah, it'll be pretty pretty fun. And we're gonna. I am really looking forward to getting out of this friggin' snow. It's already snowy AF here. It's been for like three days though, right? Yeah, it like snowed last week for like a day and then it melted. It had a warm day and then it snowed like for three or four days in a row almost. And now it's just got quite a bit of snow. Um, so that's kind of a situation. It's no big deal. It's just kind of like I was, sometimes you don't really get much snow until like at least late December or even January. But this year it looks like we're pretty well going to be covered for from now on what do you want for christmas jackson what are you asking for santa claus you know what would be awesome if i could have for christmas like that from future christmases from now on i don't have to get anyone and nobody gets me any presents that would be amazing that would be my best christmas present ever hashtag scrooge i i love christmas i love getting together <laughs> family and nice Christmas dinners and having good old times together. It's just the presents that I'm not like a big fan of. I, I don't think, think it's, it's also because Montana, your lovely fiance, uh, what am I saying? Your lovely wife. I forgot that I was there for that, by the way. <laughs> Holy <laughs> shit. Yeah, you're in my wedding party for God's sake. Um, oh, yeah, lovely, what happened? <laughs> I'm divorced. So like no one has married now. That's how it works. Um, well, she does all the shopping and I even still wish that we didn't have to I know you're like do we really have to get our male person something montana she's just is so giving and generous and cares so much like it's got to be like tough to be like well i gotta care more now too because my wife <laughs> yeah she's <laughs> up in my caring game without my without my knowledge just kind of gradually but this year we're not getting each other presents we got a really nice couch uh for that nick was gonna buy us a couch he said for the wedding and i was like well this couch is like two grand i'm not gonna ask for nick for that and he's like i would have paid for it so now i'm like frig you should have told nick me. buy it well i'll still i still haven't gotten you anything so i still have to give you something i guess i'll give you a wedgie or something <laughs> that'd be all right. a, a wedgie and a hundred bucks all right well i take it so but anyways, anyways we're kind of off topic here 
Brent McMahon's coming on board and he's beat me many times. So I want to get inside his brain. The only time I did beat him was for Iron Man VR when no one else gave a shit but me. <laughs> what a beauty. That was awesome. <laughs> and honestly, I Brent was kicking my ass for years. And then, you know, we've kind of changed the tides a little bit here. But last year he came to our Canadian Pro Tri Champs race. Gave me a really freaking tough race and and uh, was right there on me, right, you know, from the start. He was actually ahead of me and then I had to yeah. pass him. And then he wasn't really going away. He was running really fast. So it was, you know, it was a good race. So I'd love to hear. Can't wait to hear from him. Can't wait to hear how you stay competitive for so many years. I mean, he's like, whatever, in his early 40s now, which is no big deal. But he's still keeping up with guys in their 20s coming up. And just uh, he's seen the game change. And he's been able to, it seems like this this last race, he's really elevated his game. Like he really saw a good return to form of what he was kind of doing um for his best racing so yeah mainly his swim stepped up again like that's where he got it back so he can compete with the lead packer off the bat yeah that's awesome um and even ran he ran like i think he was like just over one hour for the split which is super fast yeah um, it's great for 18k so anyways without further ado here bring him on is brent mcmahon All right, we're here with brent mcmahon the legend i mean if you don't know who brent mcmahon is then just stop listening to our podcast but like we don't we don't want you anymore i'm just kidding actually because that's if there is any of you then please please keep listening but anyways thanks for joining us brent thanks for having me looking forward to having a little chat and a little drink of the beer in the off season nice so what is the beer of choice today um it's actually a present that i got for my birthday and uh my good friend kelly guest um Bought me a bunch of beers that were associated to him, not me. <laughs> He's like, guess what these all have in common? And I was like, oh. And I tried to figure out things that were in common, but they had nothing to do with me. So I, then he explained. So I have no idea. This one is the Great Lakes Brewery. So oh, I figured so it's an Ontario beer. It's an Ontario beer. So I figured it would probably be a good one, you know, because I'm talking to Jackson and, yeah. you know, so yeah. It- don't the Ontario, about it, the, one of the only new, Ontario pros anymore because the, the Ontario, you know, the Ontario pro everyone knows of doesn't really live in Ontario anymore. So I guess yeah. I'm the next thing. Yeah, there you go. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you've been I mean, I was just looking today because I was like, I know Brent's been doing this sport forever and he's always been at super elite level um, that I've known of. So back I was like, let's go look at the IT website, see some of his results. Of course he's got five major games including two olympics um and then going back to junior i can see your first result ever was on the 12th of november 1995 the cancun itu triathlon world championships so i figured that's a pretty good place to start like was that pretty early in your triathlon like hey let's go do triathlon and see what happens and you made it to the b race of the world championship um yeah pretty much i was uh 15 at the time and um at that time they had yeah they had junior was made up of two different age categories which was 15 16 and then 17 to 19 um and uh actually no it was 16 17 and 18 and 19 and at the time because i was actually 15 i had to uh get special permission to go um but uh yeah, basically that was my first world championships and all I'd really done up till then um, was kind of a couple of triathlons each year uh, from the age of 10. And then, um, yeah, I did a couple more and a couple more and I made the provincial team and then it was like, oh, I could go to this world championships in Cancun. So uh, my parents and I, we went down and um, did my did my first sort of international race in 1995 the age of 15 sweet i mean nick's i know what nick's about to think or say he's like man you've been in it since you were young that's such an advantage for swimming and everything and running because every time we talk to people who've been in it for a while he's just jealous because he didn't start since until he was like mid-20s but um but it sounds like you kind of started you didn't start elite like right when you first done a couple races like i know sometimes kids were like really heavy into it but you were kind of doing it for fun and then you just realized that you're pretty good at it so you started kind of doing it more 
Um, yeah, basic, basically, I, I just love playing sports as a kid. So I, I didn't do just triathlon until after I graduated high school. Um, I would basically, I would play soccer in the fall. I'd play water polo through the winter. And then I'd go back to, um, you know, running track at the school and then do triathlon in the summer, basically, um, until I graduated high school. So not until I was 19 did I actually really... Uh, 1819 really focus on triathlon and train all year round and I was actually a better growing up I was a better duathlete than triathlete because I actually didn't swim that fast um I you know I had good water polo skills so the the turn poise were were no problem for me but uh but after that um you know basically as a junior my my best uh I got silver medal at the duathlon world championships and, you know, I think wow. the best I did in triathlon was, uh, I can't remember. You, you looked at my results more recently, but yeah, I'll uh, find it. Uh, for, <laughs> it was, it would have been in, uh, 1999 or two. 99. Yeah. 99, 99 would, world championships. You got 32nd, 98 no, was 41st and duathlon worlds i see ninth and then yeah second in 2000 yeah wow so you had to develop your swim obviously you did that i mean you became a, a really good swimmer um at what point did you kind of get your swim to that point and obviously it's not that long after those 1999 junior races that you qualified for the olympics because you're in the 04 olympics is that right that is correct so a lot yeah. of improvements and changes must have happened in that time. Like what, what kind of happened? Did you just take a leap and go full time and just go for it? Yeah, that was mostly it. It was, it was basically just dedicating to training for triathlon all year round. You know, basically when I was playing soccer, I wasn't swimming. And then I'd, I'd swim and play water polo for two or three months in the winter. And then I'd go back to not swimming. And so it was just the inconsistency of, of swimming um, that didn't add up to a good quality swimmer but then as soon as i you know started swimming all year round and you know doing you know winter training blocks where you're, you're doing more volume of swimming biking and running um the swimming actually came around because i was fortunate that i i was in actually uh winter club swimming when i was a kid when i was younger so that's the classic you know five days a week you know doubles two days a week so i actually learned how to swim technically um when I was young. So I had the skill. I just never worked the swimming engine because I just never did it long enough because I was just too interested in other sports. So fortunately, that means that when I just got to training, the technique was there. And so I was able to actually improve and, and get swimming fast uh, well, pretty quickly. Um, Brent, so with your swimming you've always been a, a great swimmer, obviously, with that background. So for our listeners, they'll be curious, um, you know, what do you think it takes in terms of swim sets and diversity um, to become, you know, to, to elevate your swim game? I mean, is it specific reps that you've seen show you the best outcome or is it volume? What's your opinion on the swim approach to improve? Um, I think it, it really depends on where you're coming from. Um, you know, just background wise, like if you're just, if you're a completely terrible swimmer that can't kick, has terrible stroke, isn't comfortable, is very nervous, you know, then there's a lot to work on. Um, so there's no one thing that you can be like, okay, you just do this and you'll get faster. It's, the benefit of being that bad is there's lots you can work on and there there's huge upside. So by doing a little bit of work in a bunch of different areas, you will easily become a better swimmer. Um, you know, if it starts to get more refined and, you know, you've put in consecutive years of, of training and working on technique, then I find it's, it's all about finding some drills that are specific to you and your needs that make your stroke better. Um, and, you know, cause I've, I've worked with lots of different coaches and, um, I've had the same triathlon coach for 25 years, but we've worked with lots of other, you know, sports specific coaches. And that's one thing, you know, so I've, I've seen hundreds of swim drills, like just hundreds of them. 
and I've done them all and most of them don't work um, because my stroke is unique. And, and so it's finding a drill that helps improve your stroke the way you need. And that may only be one or two drills. And then to really improve, you, you have to just do it over and over and over and over and over and over again. Um, mm -hmm. Because that's as kids, that's why children learn swimming better is because it's a motor pattern skill. And children learn motor pattern skills much better than adults. So a kid can do a stroke technique, you know, five days a week for three weeks and he'll get it. And it'll, it'll be that way for a long time. Whereas an adult, it takes a lot of repetition. And so basically you need to find a couple of drills that work for you that make your stroke better. And then you need to do lots of miles swimming better okay. so in terms of i think within our realm of the sport um we've got a little bit of a different approach that we have to plan for um i think for the elite game if you can agree with me or not um you've got to have just multiple speeds within that same stroke and i think the biggest thing that a lot of us as pro athletes lack is that opening speed of the swim obviously the sustainability part is there too but I mean, we're all good for like a couple hundred meters and then we start seeing the wheels blow off. So for those types of things, like what types of swimming helps you maintain front pack ability? Um, well, I, I think like that's, you know, to, to what I just said, that's, that, that's the key to swimming fast, not, not just fast at the start, fast all the way through. Mm -hmm. and, and to do that, you have to find your stroke the way it works best and then do thousands of yards of that stroke. And it doesn't necessarily need to be that fast or that specific. What's most important is that you can maintain that stroke. Okay. And that's what happens is everybody can dive in and do a 200 all out and go pretty fast. It's just how much energy and how much lactic you build doing that and how much your stroke then completely falls apart after you go hard. Um, and so swimming faster overall probably means um, losing some speed because you're, you have to learn how to be more efficient, which is going to be, you know, it's going to take some time and it's going to make you slower. Yeah. Um, and so for me, my, my swimming has always based, been based around mileage and resiliency. Cause your so, stroke's good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I found, and it's not always good. It takes, it takes, you know, a couple of, you know, certain drills that I do, but I just do them over and over again. And for me, I don't actually do a lot of drills. I do for me, my drill is swimming with a pool boy and an inner tube. So like a wheelbarrow inner tube. Just activation so then. Yeah, well, yeah, but it's, but it forces me to swim in a certain way. So some people that might be, you know, one arm, single arm sided swimming, and that's what turns their stroke on and makes them find it. For me, it's swimming with a pool boy and an inner tube. And okay. it takes, it, it, it just forces me to swim well. And I swim super slow but I swim well. And so I just do more and more and more and more and more swimming that. And I never like that. And I, I never get that much faster, but it was like I was saying, it ingrains good stroke in my body. So that when I get rid of that stuff and I freshen up for a race, I can go all out for two, 300 meters, but then I can keep going because, because, that's it's just i'm used to holding that water and used to holding that stroke and um so for me i've always my swim workouts have always been long sets and you know like you know for me it's you know a 2k swim set um sometimes even 3k swim sets and it's all very continuous there's there's not a lot of rest and what i like to do is i'd like to descend the pace as i go through um and shorten shorten the intervals so essentially start kind of aerobic strength 
then you kind of go to tempo and then by the end you're doing threshold but maintaining the same stroke all the way through and really the only thing that's changing is your stroke rate and you know the the heart rate and the, the intensity okay and, well, uh, and with fresh and the other thing with thing with start speed is with freshness comes speed so I don't do a ton of start speed, firstly, because we don't need that much of it in long distance. Um, obviously, when I was qualifying for the Olympics, yeah, the guys are going out in one minutes or under for 100 meters. Um, so you got to have some start speed. But, you know, for, for long distance, you got to be able to go out sort of strong and with the group, but then you have to be able to keep going. And um, so, yeah, lot, lots of miles and not, not too much speed work. Okay. Well, thanks for digging into that. I mean, that's where I think most people have issues within our sport and they don't comprehend the key factors that you you know said, like you got to go slow first because you have to ingrain the proper mechanics. And then you ramp it up as you get stronger for longer. So that's a good takeaway from someone who's clearly been at the front of the swim game for a long time. So thank you for that input. Yeah, they and beat they, me out of the water many, many a times. I think every single time we've actually raced. So I'm, I'm taking notes here. <laughs> yeah, and the thing is, me like I've, I've done the benefit of being around a long time is I've I've seen a lot of coaches, I've seen a lot of athletes, and um, and I've done a lot of training in a lot of different programs. Um, and so that's which is totally fun, and that's why I'm I'm able to still do this sport after you know 25 years at a high level is because I I have mixed it up and I have tried different things and you know because you got to experiment and you know you never know when you're going to find something that makes you you better and, and you got to keep trying to find those those extra things um but you definitely um, figure out what works well interesting so, you mentioned the inner tube so that's like for around your ankles so you're not kicking yeah yeah so i it's funny that you mentioned that because literally i have kind of found that exact same thing over the last year like I kind of removed most drills and started doing more of that. And it's forced me to actually engage proper rotation and proper lat engagement rather than just kicking to like do all the work for my rotation. And, yep. and I've had my best, not necessarily my fastest pool times ever, because, you know, I'm just a little bit more deliberate with my stroke and I'm not like doing, like you said, as much hammering hard swimming, but then in the open water, I've been way better through that, you know, sustaining the pace and not getting draw from the group and, Still got work to do to make it to your pack, but I've had some good swims anyway. So yeah, I've seen that. It's been good. I agree. Um, so Brent, in terms of you know thousands foot view of our sport, um, how do you think it's doing? Um, it's it's really exciting actually to see where our sport is right now and some of the changes that are happening. Um, you know, I think that with the PTO, um, they've brought um obviously all the stuff that they've brought with their events but what they also have brought is some sort of intensity to change um you know sort of really actually pushing change and activating for change um but then i think it's it's having a, an effect on other events as well on hey okay we got to we got to do a better job and we got to put in you know better media and we got to put in some better money and we got to, you know, so it's, it's not just, you know, what they're doing. It's the effect that what they're doing. Um, I think the super league as well is, has helped with that, you know, cause super league essentially um, started to set some of the standards for, for coverage and for viewership and for content. And so the PTO probably took some of that as well um, and said, okay, this as is well. Well, yeah. And, uh, you know, the ITU, the problem with the ITU is it, it was so, it was so segregated and so specific to a certain realm. Um, so it was easy for other races and other events to go, well, we don't need to do that because that's the ITU, they're, they're mm. the Olympics. It's completely different. Oh, yeah. Point. And, and, and it, it was very easy for for race organizers and you know events and event staff and you know all of that sponsors to go oh it's not it, it's not itu so we don't we don't need to do that um and and likewise 
if you were when I was an ITU athlete looking over at Ironman, it was that sponsors were like, well, no, we don't need to do that because you you know, come on, you're not an Ironman, you're not getting the same kind of media, you're you're doing this Olympic stuff. So it, it was the same on both sides. So it it was these two parallel things that there wasn't a lot of crossover back when you know, I was doing it earlier in 2004 and um, 2008 Olympics and stuff like that. But now there is so much crossover between just the athletes between Olympic and long distance. But now you're getting, you know, Super League, which is blurring the lines as well, you know, inviting some of the long course guys, the athletes, and now the PTO by supporting not just long distance events, but like our Canadian Pro Championships, which was an Olympic distance. So again, there's all of a sudden a lot of crossover happening, which is great because you're getting mixing of athletes, but you're getting mixing of market, mixing of exposure, mixing of sponsors, mixing of coverage. And that's just, that's just good for everybody. Um, So it's, it's super cool with where we're at and that there's, there's people excited about sort of pushing it and multiple people. Yeah. have, have you been mostly uh, focused on the pro level performance af- aspect of the sport or have you diversified your professional repertoire? I mean, I, I know you have, you know, some coaching going on. So what else have you done outside of that? Or is that the main thing? Um, no, like, you know, for me personally, my whole career has basically it's, it's all or nothing um with me and and that's my my season's very much like that as well you know i i have a season and then when i'm not in season it's (laughs) the complete opposite um so i'm i'm either all into to racing and training and not not doing anything else um so i i really haven't done a lot of coaching i you know i help out you know here and there but i i don't coach athletes i don't do programming Um, for some reason years maybe a couple years ago i thought someone said that you what what is the coaching group that's on it's in victoria it's right on the lake there uh yeah life sport coaching yeah life sport. um yeah so lance watson my coach um who i've worked with for 25 years he you know operates life sport coaching ah. um and so i've i've you know essentially been a life sport athlete for you know well way back it wasn't life sport but um you know for years and years and so i've i've always just worked with him and his coaching company and you know however we want to you know okay. work on things so i do seminars and talks and all that kind of stuff but i don't actually coach anybody um okay. and uh yeah so i i basically do house renovations and train that's about it oh. I mean, I'll be your first athlete if you ever coach anybody. All right, sure. <laughs> so you've, uh, you mentioned, you know, we briefly kind of went into a little bit of your Olympic career. Um, and then at, pretty much right after that 2012 season, it looks like you just said, okay, I'm going for Ironman now. Um, and you've won four Ironmans. You've got one of the fastest Ironmans ever. So, you know, as you mentioned, there's kind of athletes now doing both and, looking back like for you you kind of said you're all or nothing so it makes sense for you to be all in on one or the other but knowing what you know now would you have tried to kind of maybe mix both in there or you know do you think that that for you was the best to just go in for Ironman um yeah I I think you know I I did do um you know basically since 2000 and uh 2003 i i have dabbled in other things um so from from 2000 to the london olympics my, my focus was itu but in those years in between um i often you know in 2003 4 5 and 6 i did the us pro xterra circuit oh awesome um, you know so i i raced the the xterra series and came twice in the the xterra north america series um, was on the podium twice at the Xterra World Championships, um, you know, and so for me, um, that's kind of, you know, instead of coaching um, or you know working part time, that's kind of how I managed my career as an athlete and, and funding for the Olympics was okay. I got I got to find you know other ways to pay the bills because back then IT racing just there just wasn't 
much money and there still isn't that much money in IT racing, especially if you're in the, you know, the 10th through the 30th positions, which means you're qualifying for the Olympics, but you're not making a good paycheck every time you're going to a race. Um, and then the sponsors back then weren't that great either. Um, but, uh, so for me, that's kind of how I funded my Olympic career was, you know, I did Xterra and then, um, and then after I wasn't selected to the 2008 Beijing Olympic team, uh, I took, I took that year to go and try some long distance racing. And so, um, I actually went and did the Cornerbrook, um, 70.3 when they had it, which was super cool. Um, and then I did the race to the Toyota cup series. So I did Chicago, try LA, try, oh, yeah. um, Des Moines, um, Those were so all the Olympic distance non-drafting days, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. The good old paycheck so, days. Exactly. And, and, and those were good development, you know, and it's, 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 you know, where I, I did LA try this year, which was super cool. Um, but it was too bad to see those races really kind of fall away because they were a great stepping stone for ITU guys to try non-drafting without having to go to half Ironman. Um, you know, and, and you're seeing guys do it, you know, obviously Christian, he's, you know, done half Ironmans and then gone back and won the Olympics. Um, you know, yeah. so it's no not really, deal. it's not really <laughs> slowing them down. Um, but he uh, ran like, what do you run? 29, 30 or something in like 30 degrees. So yeah. It's not like it's slowing them down. That's for no, sure. Jeez, no. So, yeah. So I, you know, hindsight, yeah, it probably would have been, you know, fun to do a couple more half Ironmans, but I did actually, I won my first half Ironman in new Orleans in 2009. Um, so that was before the London Olympics. And then I went on to have, you know, it, it wasn't position wise, an amazing Olympics, but it was probably the the best I'd run off the bike and the best race I'd had in in a long time at the London Olympics. And that was probably because I was doing training that I wanted to do. And some of it was specific to half Ironman. And so it gave me that strength. So rewind. Yeah, may, maybe I would have left the national team and done my own training for the Olympics uh, and that things may have turned out better. Um, but hindsight's always 2020, but then, yeah, as soon as London, um, I made the commitment after Beijing to go to London, um, cause it is a four-year commitment and you just, you, you have to be all in. You can't be like, well, I'll see what happens part way to qualifying to the Olympics. You're either, you, it just, it's such a huge ask. You got, you got to be into it and all your family and your friends and your support have to be in as well. But then I was like 2012, I'm done there's there's no more that's that's going to be my last it race is the london olympics and and then from then on in i'm gonna do ironmans and half ironmans and so so it wasn't a hard decision it was it was already made it was like okay now now it's for the long distance stuff sweet um well yeah i remember when you came over and you're you uh you had one of the fastest debut full ironmans i believe was was it it was like eight low or something right You'll, you'll know the exact time. Um, yeah, I was in Arizona and it was the fastest first Ironman and it was at 750, 750, uh, I can't remember now, 754, 755. Oh, still incredible. Yeah. yeah. Which is still um, an amazing Ironman <laughs> by any standard, no matter what. Um, but so now you've kind of, you, you had a lot of success in Ironman and you still are having success in the long course um you obviously the sports really changed over the last i mean i've seen it just in in the short period of time i've been racing 70.3s um since like 2017 just the level has changed drastically um what you know have you noticed that have you noticed that that's happened at other times um like has it to you does it seem like it's been gradual increase or do you think the last few years with the pto and more money coming in you know more media has that kind of pushed things a little bit faster or what are your thoughts kind of on, on that? Um, it's, it's definitely cyclical. Um, there's, there is an evolution and a push every so often. It's, it's not, a it's not just a, a, a it's yeah, it's not just a linear steady increase. There's it kind of, there's, there's an impetus for a push and an increase. And then, and then everybody then steps up 
and then it stays like that for a little while and then there's an impetus for a push and then everybody reaches the bar and, and it starts and you know so when i was racing the itu stuff the brownleys yeah they they were that impetus they set the standard for riding much harder than people were riding but then running faster than everybody else and it was the two of them no no one else like Javi was having a hard time keeping up um you know mola um richard murray none of those guys could ride with them and then run as fast as them but then a couple of years go by and then all of a sudden couple more guys can you know catch up and run with them and then more and more guys and more and more and more and and then all of a sudden everybody's having everybody's now riding faster and and then the top guys are now running as fast and now the brownleys are having to compete for top five as opposed to they're guaranteed first to third um and i think the woods situation right yeah yeah like when someone really raises the bar it's it's not going to happen right away but people will learn how to compete and how to get better to to meet that performance and the same as has happened in Ironman I think is initially it was at a very high standard but then what happened was I think ITU athletes started doing Ironman and that and and I and ITU athletes did it in the past but you know basically in the 2004 to 2010 realm professionalism in Ironman was going up and the ITU and the Olympics was going up and they were going up in different streams but then in 2006 and 2008 and 2010 you started to get crossover and so you had ITU athletes that were completely dedicated to one stream and were, you know, brownly fast, but then they were coming over and doing Ironman. And initially they would come over and they would be faster runners. Typically they, obviously they were faster swimmers. Um, so they, they'd be in the race all the way to the end. And so that's what stepped up the level of Ironman. It was the running. All of a sudden, the run, you saw the run time start to come down. And, you know, the consistent marathons, you know, that guys were putting out. And, you know, the, the dynamics of the race then kind of started to, okay, bigger groups on the bike in Ironmans, you know, because more and more guys were getting out of the water together and you couldn't separate. And then while well, everybody knew it was going to come down to a run race. And so, you had a bunch of guys all running fast in the marathon. Well, fast forward another, you know, five, 10 years, those marathon times. Yeah. Well, those marathon times are still there, but now the bikes have stepped up because now you have stronger guys coming in, you know, that want to try and separate from those runners. And so they're trying to find different ways. And so it's kind of a teetering back and forth of, okay, well, the run picks up. Okay, well, now the rider's got to try and go even faster. And now we're at the point where the ride is super fast. And you you got to be riding low four hours, 405, 410 at any Ironman. And then you got to run a 340 or 240 to be even in the thick of it. Whereas it's, you know, so it's, it's, it's just, it keeps going up and up. And um, it seems like that Ironman bit happened overnight, almost like it was COVID year. And then like, if we look at world championship times, even at St. George versus regular course times, like they've dropped 10 minutes just since two years. Um, Well, yeah. And I think, I think part of it too, is we, we initially saw that, that increase in 70.3s yes so the 70 the 70.3 bikes started getting harder and harder and harder and the running times were were fast and then the running times got a little bit slower to to meet the demand of the bike 115s and now they're down to one tenths well or 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 sort of what i'm saying what i'm saying is like when i i ran a 110 at the big when i first started doing 70.3s yeah 
and and yeah, that's not an old more, thing like that's been happening no, for years no yeah so like one tens was like that that's kind of that's the benchmark 109 you know that's that's the benchmark for a fast half ironman run and then there was the bike and the bike was hard but then all of a sudden the bike got really really hard and you didn't see many 110s anymore mm-hmm. yeah there were 111s and 112s because the bike was so much harder and you know that was Lionel coming in and smashing the bike and that was you know Jan getting stronger and smashing the bike and more guys smashing the bike and you know all of a sudden the bike just got really hard and you you just couldn't run 110s anymore because you were riding so hard so all of a sudden 110s didn't exist and then we evolve and we keep pushing and okay you got to ride harder and now we're starting to see one 109s again yeah and and 110s yeah. and faster bike so, so yeah Seen a couple 108s and 107s even six i exactly. saw 106 <laughs> yeah not from the front and, guy but a 106 some guy over in europe steger thomas steger's running 106 oh, and seven he's a little back off the bike but he's running like crazy yeah so he'll he'll eventually get up there and then he's going to be pushing the other guys so 70.3 is gone through that evolution where run was fast bike wasn't quite as hard bike got harder run slowed but now the bike's really hard and the run's really fast and and so now you now it's just more and more guys going to be there and through competition the speed's going to go up Ironman, we've just gone through that. I think in the last, yeah, in the last two years, three years, yeah. it was, you know, guys were running 240, maybe dipping under, you know, two, 238s, but the bikes were like consistent, you know, 410, yes. 412, 415. Well, now we're at 405 and 235. And then, <laughs> you know, and, and, and we're talking about, you know, two guys basically um you know but they're gonna just they're gonna run away with it for a while of course yeah yeah and looks like you're right they're gonna kind of be there and guys are gonna scramble to catch up and then two three years from now there's gonna be a dozen guys or more doing that and uh that's gonna be the way it is so people are just people are just in this denial phase of like maybe it was fluke maybe you know maybe that's not what we'll have to be able to do but we're just gonna have to find a way to do it yeah. And it, it'll keep progressing. And, and there's like, let's be honest, like there, there's ideal conditions for these guys doing these, these times, um, you know, not to take anything away from Christian's race, but there was a whole lot of ideal stuff that made that race that fast. Um, you know, uh, and that's, that's just how, that's the reality with Ironman racing is in order things to go well, you, you do need some stuff in your favor um you know for me in in brazil when i almost broke the world record yeah i had ideal conditions we had we had you know a a super smooth swim there was no waves it was the water temperature was perfect it was a wetsuit swim um it was short beach run to the transition and it was a damp overcast day so low rolling resistance low air pressure you know it it just all those things helped and it was all at you know anywhere from 18 to 22 degrees that day. So optimal racing conditions. And that's why I went so fast, you know, so for Christian, it was current in the swim, cut 10 minutes off. Um, You know, it was wet. So it was very fast. It's a fast course because it's just flat and three loops, Um, you know, and then it was, again, it was overcast on the run and we know he's exceptional in the heat. So, um, you know, so he had, ideal conditions for, for him because if i was in cozumel i would have i would have died i just i can't it's just too hot and humid there um <laughs> so that's the thing so it's still amazing what he did but for him those were probably ideal conditions when he's got that big old chest cavity for an extra heart so whatever yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh god uh, he holds, he holds a lot podcast. He hold, holds lots of air, that guy. Yeah. He's yeah, got yeah, big sure. lungs. He's well, like yeah. the bow of a boat, just playing and out. It's awesome. Yeah. So we've seen his evolution in the sport. And I mean, I just, one thing that I really wanted to ask you in, in this interview is like, 
you know, when COVID hit and like, you're kind of obviously at least somewhat towards the end of your career in terms of just number of years, like, did you just think no. at any point, like, ah, like this is a good time to retire. Like nobody would have blamed you at all. If you were like, you know what? It's time to retire. I'm done. Cody you like almost did. elevated your <laughs> game and you, in my opinion, had one your best race in, you know, the last few years, just, just a few days ago in Daytona and, and you performed very well coming yeah. fifth against yeah this new breed of guys who are just pushing like crazy on the bike run so you know what's motivated you to do that how have you done it and like are you going to be back next year are you going to be freaking crushing it again and getting <laughs> even faster um so yeah like, obviously that's a big question um but uh yeah it ha- for, for first first of all it hasn't been easy uh to cut to the chase uh yes i am i'm all in for one more year um you know, that's kind of, that's where I was before COVID. Um, you know, I was like, okay, I know I've got a couple of more good years and I'm going to take it one year at a time and, uh, see, see where it goes. Um, and then COVID hit and, um, you know, at that time sponsors also, um, you know, I just, I was up for renewals coincidentally at the same time as, uh, you know, COVID hit and there was no racing and, you know, so for me, it was, yeah, it was shitty timing. Um, and at my age, you, you can't just give up, uh, a year of racing. Um, you know, and that's, what's, what's interesting is there, you know, the look on the other side is there's guys, the younger guys. Well, this has been Sam Long, for instance, has been a great opportunity for Sam because he's been able to spend a year training and honing and becoming a better athlete. And then he's executed in racing. And so he's not, he's not losing a year of racing. He's gaining a year of experience and, and talent yes. building. Um, for me, I, I've done all those years. I know how to train. I know how my body works. I don't, I don't need to spend another year training because that's just another year of getting tired and getting older. Um, I, I can actually get really fit on a lot less training because I have 20 years of builds and cycles and, um, ability in me. So, um, so it's, it's interesting seeing the two ends of the spectrum and, you know, and you have to accept where you're at, but, you know, at the end of the day, I still love what I do. Um, I haven't loved it as much. That's for sure. Over the last two years, it's, it's been hard. There's been days that, yeah, I thought about, you know what, like, it's just not worth it. I, I, you know, I've got, you know, bills to pay and there's no racing and, um, you know, and then just the training wasn't satisfying because it wasn't, it just wasn't working towards anything. And, you know, so I tried to, you know, set some goals and, um, you know, so last year when there was no racing at all, you know, I, I set a goal to run a fast 5k on the track and I went 15 or 1452. And that was only, you know, five seconds slower than my PB. And that was at the age of 40. So, so it was fun to do that kind of stuff, but, um, I like racing and I get fit racing. Um, and so I told myself I wanted to have a, another like really good year solid of racing. And I, it was like, okay, well, okay, maybe 2020. Okay. Well, no. Okay. Uh, 2021 we'll, we'll have that year. And then no, that all, you know, so it's looking like 2022 will be, you know, pretty much a full season of racing. I think uh, obviously we're not going to have the same volume of races to choose from, but I think, for the most part, uh, a full year of racing will be available. Well, it would be fantastic for an organizer to support like the OGs. You got TOs, the Hoffman, the Brent McMahon, uh, the Andy Potts, even on the female side, you've got Rach, um, Meredith Kessler, Rick and Rennie. Like, I would love to see anyone over the age of 40 have their own freaking race just go toe to toe it'd be that'd be awesome hey they're doing all kinds of stuff now they're doing stuff that's just for married couples and they get like yeah. 10 grand for showing up so mm-hmm. i mean they should that'd be yeah they should have the geriatric games <laughs> hey they should they do, do it just for people who've got brown hair and brown eyes and then i'll be there <laughs> and beards 
and beards yeah beards. <laughs> women's side too you got to find a way <laughs> yeah oh my but god no i actually yeah you know that's really cool to see how many people are crushing it in their 40s because i don't want to retire from this thing anytime soon so i got a lot a lot more years left mm-hmm. i gotta get a well, beard. It's it's the same as our conversation earlier. It was that's the thing. The the more people that keep pushing on the bike and the run, well, the more people that keep pushing at the age of thirty eight and thirty nine and forty, the more it just you know it's it's just it's just in the mind a lot of it, right? And so, you know, if somebody sees me at forty one still racing at an elite level, well, then they're gonna believe that they can too, and they're gonna keep trying and keep going and um you know so it's it's kind of fun to be at that that other end and and be like okay well i'm I'm pushing it from a different from a different meter stick but i'm still pushing a limit one way or the other so um, yeah but yeah hopefully still Still fast enough yeah well brent is uh is a very fresh-faced 41 year old and you'll get to see if you look at it on the podcast yeah, uh, dude, YouTube. you don't you, you don't ever look a day over twenty five to me. Every time I see like, you go on Benjamin. the triathlon.org profile image of Brent, and I think it's the first picture that was ever taken of him. He looks like he's about twelve. <laughs> <laughs> the best thing ever. You gotta you gotta go check it out. It's he yeah. looks super super young. It probably was taken literally in like nineteen ninety five when he did that first race or something. So yeah, Garrick needs to put that in the show notes, Garrick, if you're listening yeah put the link to my profile picture on itu yeah and now i can race in the beard category there you go you're all set yeah i I need that filter (laughs) yeah we've uh it's been awesome to hear everything you've learned i mean we could probably have like 10 episodes of things brent's learned in his career maybe we'll have a maybe we'll have like a once quarterly segment like yeah things brent's learned (laughs) that'd be awesome but yeah uh, you can yeah have people write in and say what 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 do you need to ask brent what old man brent you can do an old man <laughs> yeah. can do an old man brent question and then you can have questions from the fans to old man brent <laughs> that'd be awesome but yes. uh, yeah thanks so much for coming on it's been great we've gotta you know do the old go and i think i'm i think i'm leaving a giant mess in the kitchen right now i gotta take care of and uh <laughs> nick's gotta get that dirt off his face so yeah <laughs> but yeah it's been awesome to come on can't wait to race you the next year hopefully we get to race we haven't raced since i believe since the canadian champs and you've no. got to have your one more crack at getting me so yeah we'll see you exactly. at miami <laughs> yes miami yeah you coming down to miami yes i am Flash so there miami. it'll be only a few months from now so that'll be All awesome right. sounds but, good uh yeah have a good afternoon out there where it's still sunny and uh we'll catch you next you time sounds good thanks guys thanks brent Flying through the sky in my parachute Dancing on the couch like I'm Tommy Cruise On a one-man mission trying to see it through